This last year, we've been going through doctrine. We've been uh, systematically talking about what we believe. We've been talking about the major things. The first month we talked about the Bible. We've been t- we talked about the Bible. We talked about how we got the Bible, where we got it, why is it reliable, what does it say, how, you know, how do we know it's trustworthy, and so on and so forth. The second month we talked about God. We talked about God as a whole, who God is, that there is a God in the beginning, was God. He was from the beginning, and He is representer. He, is, he manifests Himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This month, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about who Jesus is, because Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. He is our hope. He is, he is the, the only reason that we have a hope for a future. And we talked about uh, who Jesus is, what his, uh, where Jesus, that we see him in the Old Testament, that he is a, the person of Jesus. And this week, I want to talk about the offices that he held. Now, what does that mean? That's the, that's the, the part. It's like, okay, here's where we start getting into some real doctrine type things. But... It's very important. This is something that is, if we understand this, we're going to understand the plan. This has been a plan from the very beginning. It's not just something that God said, oh, by the way, i gotta, I got to throw this in. And oh, by the way, i got to throw that in. This has been his plan from the very beginning. In the beginning, God had a chosen people. And those people were the? Israelites. There were three types of people who led the Israelites before Christ was born. There was the prophet. We see uh, different prophets in the Old Testaments. Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Nathan, so on and so forth. There was the king. The king ruled over the people. Or, I'm sorry, the priest. The priests offered sacrifices, prayers, praises to God on behalf of the people. And we know Aaron was the first priest or the first official priest of Israel. There were others. Uh, uh, Melchizedek was a priest before there was an official priest, but uh, they offered sacrifices, prayers, and praises to God on behalf of the people. And then there was the king. The king ruled over the people as God's representative. Saul, David, Solomon, so on and so forth. There were three distinct separate offices that God used to lead his people. Now, he did this on purpose. This wasn't just, oh, shoot, we need somebody who can do this. You know, let's, let's put together a job description of someone who can lead the people this way. And then let's put a job description of, of people that are for somebody who can lead the people that way. No, from the beginning, everything God did and does has a purpose. When he does something, there's a reason. And he's trying to show something. He's trying to explain himself and how, who he is and how he works to us. It's a description of what he's doing. So when he, back in the day, uh, said, I'm going I'm to install prophets who are going to speak my word to you, because God didn't just speak to everybody. God only spoke to certain individuals who then spoke for God. Why? Because in the beginning, God, God wanted the Israelites to all hear from him. 
and that freaked them out. Remember we talked about that a couple of years ago, that, that uh, the Israelites, they were on, waiting outside the mountain, and God said, don't let the people touch the mountain, and if they touch the mountain, they're going to get killed, and there was fire and smoke and, and earthquakes and all kinds of stuff, and the people went, whoa, Moses, whoa, 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 whoa. Tell you what, why don't you go talk to God, come back and tell us what's going on. And God said, well, fine, if that's what you want. He, he wanted them all to hear him. But they couldn't handle it. They, they just they freaked them out. And so from that day forward, they had an intermediary. They had somebody in between who heard from God and then went and talked to the people. Then, after that, the people demanded, or they had priests. Aaron was a priest because not everybody could offer sacrifices because the only sacrifice God could accept was a pure, perfect sacrifice. It had to have no blemish. It had to, had to follow all these rules. You know, you, le- you read through uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. I mean, talk about exciting summer reading. Because it's just a bunch of rules. Do this, don't do this. You know, shave your head this way and don't shave that part of your head and, and say this and don't say that and wear these clothes and you've got to w- sprinkle yourself so many times with this and so many times with that. And there was a reason for that was not everybody could come to God. And not everybody could represent God to the rest of the people. There, were, there was only certain individuals who could qualify. And they were the priests. And they could only do certain things. Not all the priests could do everything. They could only do what they were allowed to do when they only followed certain rules. And, so, and then after that, the people like, you know, oh, we're tired of this. We want a king like everybody else. And God was like, no, nah, don't do that. You don't want a king. Let the, let, I've got it set up. The prophets and the priests will take care of it. No, we want a king. Okay, well, here's what the king's going to be like. And he put in Saul. And then Saul screwed up almost immediately. And then David, who was a man after God's old heart, and, and then he screwed up almost immediately. And then Solomon, who has the wisest man in all of the world, and he screwed up almost immediately. So you have all these human beings who were imperfect. But God was showing us, he was putting into place a system that would describe the perfect prophet and the perfect priest and the perfect king. That's what this is all about. He, but he had that system to show us what it would look like when the perfect came on the earth. Christ fulfilled these three offices in the following way. As a prophet, he revealed God to us and speaks God's words to us. As a priest, he both offers a sacrifice to God on our behalf and is himself the sacrifice that is offered. And as king, he rules over the church and over the universe as well. So, I want to look at these three offices. The prophet, the priest, and the king. Deuteronomy 18, beginning with 15, says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. And that's Moses talking. He's prophesying to the children of Israel, explaining to them what's about what's going to happen one day. He will raise up a prophet, or raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from my brothers. It is to him you shall listen. 
Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, that's the one we were just talking about, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of, of the Lord my God, or see his great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. So, ahead of time, remember we talked about this when talking about the prophecies about Jesus, about leading up to, you know, God foretold that Jesus was coming to the earth. He did this way ahead of time. So that when it was time, they would recognize him. And that it wasn't just by chance. This wasn't just a, oh, that's right. By the way, we need a Savior. Let's, uh, let's pick you, and you're going to be perfect. And you're... No, God's plan from the garden was this, and he put all of these things into motion well ahead of time. So, however, when we look at the Gospels, we see that Jesus is not primarily viewed as a prophet or as the prophet like Moses, though there are occasions where this does come into effect. Matthew 16, 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, who, we don't have time to go into here, but if you've ever heard me preach this before, he was the last of the old-time prophets. But we won't have time to talk about that today. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Here is where it switched. God's using prophets in the way that he did, that only through them that God could speak to uh, the people of God, he used prophets. And he said, well, who do you say that I am? Well, some of the people say that you're one of the prophets. Okay, that's great, but who do you say that I am? That's the question. That's the most important part of this. Luke 9, 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about what all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. That would really perplex him, because he had just chopped John's head off. You can see why that would bother him. By some, that Elijah had appeared, which would also be perplexing, because that would signal the end. And by others, one of the prophets of old that had risen. So that was what was going on behind the scenes. That's what they were, you know, when you, when you sat around the, the coffee table on Monday morning and you're just discussing the world events going, hey, have you heard about that Jesus guy? Oh, yeah, he's pretty wild. And that's pretty Well, who do you think he is? Is he, is he the prophet? Because they all knew that. They'd been taught that from a youth that the prophet would come. Well, it could be. Or it could be Elijah, because remember, Elijah got caught up in the whirlwind, and, you know, and, you know, wow, that'd be cool if it was Elijah. You know, and when we do Passover, we always set a place for Elijah. Did you know that? They always set a place for Elijah, thinking he'll come back. And they even asked, the, his disciples asked, you know, Jesus, well, you know, what about the Elijah? Because remember, Elijah's supposed to come back before the Messiah? And Jesus said, he did come back already. If you'll accept it, if you'll believe it, it was John the Old Testament prophet. Can't go into all of that. That's, that's a really cool uh, uh, area to, to think about and to, to see how God did all of that. 
See, I'd like to go one step further. I will go one step further, but then I will not give you any satisfaction of the real answer. Elijah will come back again. He will. Do you remember when the, in Revelation where it talks about the two prophets that come out of heaven? And then they preach and they do miraculous signs, even fire coming out their mouth? That is cool. The problem with that is they're going to get killed horribly. Because there's two of them. Who's the other one? Think, think, think. Can't be Moses. He died already. It's got to be Enoch. I can't prove it, but it's got to be Enoch. It's going to be so cool. Enoch was before the flood. He's going to bear witness that God was the God before the flood. Elijah is going to bear witness that God was the God after the flood and before Jesus. Glory to God. That just gets you excited. We live in an exciting time. Powerful time. Wonderful. It's not something to fear. Fear tries to come on people. Fear tries to, to enter into it. And it's not about fear. It's about, I, I love what Vernon just said, it's about power. In the end, there's power. In the end, in, this, in these days, well, you're, you're thinking, wait a second, how come we're not seeing it right now? Oh, I know. My family, I, you know, some of you have asked, you know, I've, they've tried, you've tried to shake my hand or give me a hug in the last couple days. I said, ooh, unclean, unclean. Our family's going through the crud right now. Deb started about midnight. I moved out last night, you know, moved downstairs. Because <laughs> I'm 99.9. I'm back into shape, and she's just starting. I'm like, ooh, see you later. Love you, babe. If you need anything, I'll send one of the kids in. They're expendable. But at one point, and we've all been there, you know, Deb is not feeling what she goes, Oh, how come we don't see healing like the Bible talks about? Don't tell me you haven't said that. We say that. And I said, that's right. So I'm, I'm laying in bed last night, and all of a sudden I'm just going, yeah, Lord, what's the deal with this? And all of a sudden it rose up in me. In the name of Jesus, our family is healed. Amen. That's a whole other subject. It's a great subject. We could, see what I mean? We could just go in all kinds of different directions today. And, I, and I, I'm trying to rein it back in, but it's, we'll get there. We'll get, and we will get done. <laughs> the sound guy's looking at the time going, it ain't going to happen. He's not going to make it. We're only on page two. <laughs> when Jesus raised the son of the widow of Nain from the dead, the people were afraid and said, a great prophet has risen among us. So prophet, he was, he was alluded to as a prophet many times, but he was never called and he never said, I am the prophet. But what he did was he fulfilled the office of the prophet with his life here on earth. He was the voice piece of God. He said many times, he said, he said, I don't say anything that I don't hear my father saying. I don't do anything that I don't see my father doing. So he told one of his disciples, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Why? Because he was acting just like the father. And the end part of the sermon is so cool, so we have to get there because... We're going to talk about something that's even, I mean, it's cool that what Jesus did, but it's even cooler what we're going to talk about at the end. So Jesus is indeed the prophet predicted by Moses. Nevertheless, if you're following along, it's page three, top of page three. 
Nevertheless, it is significant that in the epistles of Jesus, he never is never called a prophet or the prophet. So apparently, because although Jesus is the prophet whom Moses predicted, he is also far greater than any of the Old Testament prophets. And remember what John said? He says, the one who comes after me, I'm not even worthy to tie his own sho- his shoes. Not even worthy to touch his laces. And Jesus said about John, he says, no greater man has ever been born to woman than John up until this point. So, I mean, Jesus is putting John way up there, and John's going, I can't even touch his shoelaces. When it changed, it changed. When Jesus came on, he fulfilled that office totally, in every way. Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 25, And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter glory? He was telling this to the the men on the road to Emmaus, that everything that was spoken back then about the prophet to come, he would fulfill. Number two, Jesus was not merely a messenger of revelation from God like all the other prophets, but it was himself the source of revelation from God. The word of the Lord came to the Old Testament prophets, but like John said, Jesus is the word of God. He is the manifestation of the word of God. John 14, John, uh, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you so long and you still not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So in the broader sense of a prophet, simply meaning one who reveals God to us and speaks to us the words of God, Jesus is, of course, truly and fully a prophet. In fact, he is the one to whom all Old Testament prophets prefigured in their speech and in their answers or their actions. Jesus was the prophet. Jesus as priest. In the Old Testament, the priests were appointed by God to offer sacrifices. They also offered prayers and praise to God on behalf of the people. In doing so, they sanctified when we talk after we're going to, the next month, we're going to be talking about man, who we are. Ooh. You're not going to want to miss that month. You're really not, because it's, it's amazing who we are and who we were and who God wants us to be. Amen? But in doing so, they sanctified the people or made them acceptable to come into God's presence during the Old Testament period. In the New Testament, Jesus becomes the priest. He becomes our great high priest. This theme is developed extensively in the letter of Hebrews, where we find that Jesus functions as priest in two ways. The first is that Jesus offered a perfect sacrifice for sin. And we're going to talk a lot about that. After we talk about man, we're going to talk about Sin, but what happened to sin? What Jesus did at the cross? We're going to talk about sanctification. We're going to talk about atonement. We're going to talk about all these big six and a half buck words with inflation. And what they mean because they're important. These words are really important because if we understand, I don't care if you know the word, but if you understand what it means, that's what's important. Because sanctification will set you free. You know, people, have you ever walked around thinking, ah, I just, I wonder if I'm saved. My goodness, if you're saved, you are so saved, you won't wonder that anymore. 
He took care of it. And he's, he's changing us. You know, yes, our, 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 our spirit has been renewed and our spirit is alive. And we're being sanctified. We're, we're changing. Our minds are changing with time. We have to let it happen. But he did it fully. He is able to change us fully. The priests were only able to, to mask over it for a couple of days. Or a year, depending on what kind of a sacrifice it was. When Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice... Once and for all. That is cool. That is amazing. But that's what the Old Testament did. Only for a short time, then Jesus did it forever. Hebrews 9.26 But as it is, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. There was only one sacrifice that was worthy to be offered once and for all. And that was Jesus. And he offered it. He didn't have to go to the cross. He did not, he was not forced to go to the cross. Yes, was he taken away in chains? Yes. But he even said to his disciples, hey man, I could call down legions of angels. This could stop in a second. I'm doing this on purpose. The Bible, the, 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 the prophecies ahead of time said that he was led to the altar or led to the slaughter like a lamb. He went willingly. Lambs, when lambs go to slaughter, they don't, it's as if they don't know what's going to happen. Jesus was not forced to go. He allowed it to happen. He chose to die for us. Perfect sin. For a perfect sac- sacrifice for sin. Therefore, brethren, Hebrews 10, 19-22. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary, literally the holy places, meaning both the holy place and the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. For thousands of years, no one could enter the holy of holies except the high priest once a year when everything was done perfectly. And this verse says, we all get to go into the Holy of Holies every day, all the time, anytime we want. That is amazing. What he did as our great high priest, he fulfilled that office absolutely perfectly and made a way for us to have a relationship. What was the Holy of Holies? The Holy of Holies is where the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, they could see the glowing Shekinah glory behind the curtain. They could hear His voice from behind the curtain. I mean, God was there. You know, I mean, can you imagine this? The God who fills the whole universe goes, okay, I'll show up down there and here's glory. And only one person, when everything was perfect, and that person went in there scared to death. And every morning you can wake up, even before you brush your teeth, and go, good morning, Father. And enter into His presence anytime you want. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, you know, we, we, some of us, when we talked about doing doctrine last year, and people were like, ooh, are you sure you want to do that? When we talk about, when we get right doctrine and we understand what, what this is really all about, I get excited. I get pumped. What Jesus did for us, look what he's given us. It sets us on fire. My gosh, 
We can enter into the King of Kings' very presence any moment, any time. During worship this morning, we were there. We're still there. You don't have to leave there. This afternoon, I'm getting you out of here early. You can see I'm blowing through this thing. This afternoon, while you're soaking up the rays, ray, the one ray, the one that one ray that hits the earth on the... You could be in the presence of God. You will be in the presence of God. He loves you. Jesus, being the, the perfect high priest, made it possible to be there. And third, Jesus, as priest, continually prays for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near. Uttermost. That's all the way. That is absolutely, completely, totally, every bit, uttermost. Those who draw near to God through Him, since He he always lives to make intercession for them. The red part. You notice in your your, uh, uh, notes there's a whole red section here. That red section, I put in red because... You know, I've been doing this for many years. I got you know, saved when I was four years old. Went to church every Sunday. Went to Bible school. Went to, went to summer camps. Fell away from the Lord for five years. That's a whole other thing. But came back to Him. Sought Him with my whole life, seeking Him. I became a pastor. I've been doing this for 20 years. Here's why doing doctrine is so important. And going back even over stuff you know. That's the first time I've ever gotten this part. So as I was doing the notes, I'm going, I'm putting this in red. Because I've always thought that when it said that Jesus was, do, was, was making intercession for us, is exactly what this says, that, it, or, you know, that it, the, the, the wrong way of looking at it was, yet Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father going, He's my son. Or He's, he's, my, he's my brother. He's, he's okay. He's in. That's what I thought intercession was. I didn't, because I'm thinking, well, we pray to God. We don't have to pray through Christ. We don't have to pray through Christ. We pray to the Father. Jesus said we can do that. But do you know that at the same time, and I didn't know it, but I know it now, and it's exciting. That's why we need to do this stuff, because you're going to learn stuff. I'm learning stuff as I do this again. Is that every day, every moment of every day, Jesus is praying for you. He is making intercession for you, which means, in the, in the correct terms and putting it all together, it means that he's praying, Lord, I, our Father, I pray that Brian is prosperous today, that he, he is blessed, that he's, he's walking, that your Lord, he, Jesus, at the same time, is praying for you as you're praying for yourself or praying for others. That is cool. I've been saying that a lot today. It is. It just is. No other way. I mean, I can think of more theological ways of saying it. It's cooleth. <laughs> but I'm going to read this just because you need to hear it, and then I want you to read it also. Some have argued that, the, that this work of highly priest intercession is only the act of remaining in the Father's presence as a continual reminder that He Himself was, has paid the penalty for all sins. That's what I thought it was. I, that, you know, even as a pastor, I thought that was all it was. It's not. According to this view, Jesus does not actually make specific prayers to God, the Father, about individual needs in our lives, but intercedes only in the sense of remaining in God's presence as 
our high priestly representative. However, this view does not seem to fit the actual language used in Romans 8.34 and Hebrews 7.25. In both cases, the word intercede translates the Greek term, that word. The word does not merely mean to stand at someone's representative before another person, but clearly has a sense of making specific requests or petitions before someone. We may conclude then that both Paul and the author of Hebrews, who was Paul, are saying that Jesus continually lives in the presence of God to make specific requests and to bring specific petitions before God on our behalf. That is a role that, role that Jesus, as God-man, is uniquely qualified to fill. Although God could care for all of our needs in response to direct observation, yet it has pleased God in his relationship to, human, to the human race to decide to act instead in response to prayer. That's why we pray. The reason we pray is he's, that's what he's decided. That's how he wants us to do things, is he wants us to request it, and then he'll do it according to his will. Apparently, the faith shown through prayer glorifies him. So, humankind is raised to a highly exalted position. 1 Timothy 2.5, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Yet in his human nature alone, Jesus could, or his nature alone, Jesus could not, of course, be such a high priest for all his people all over the world. He could not hear all the prayers of persons far away, nor could he hear prayers that were only spoken in a person's mind. He could not hear all requests simultaneously. That's what God does. Therefore, in order to be the perfect high priest who intercedes for us, he must be God as well as man. See why that's important? Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Why is it so important that Jesus be God? Because only God can do that. And only He could be that perfect high priest. Yet because He became and continues to be man, He has the right to represent us before God, and He can express His petitions from the viewpoint of a sympathetic high priest, one who understands by experience what we go through. Jesus is the high priest. And then last, but certainly not least, Christ is king. In the Old Testament, the king has the authority to rule over the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus was born to be king, Matthew 2, 2. But he refused any attempt by people to make him king, an earthly king with earthly military and political power. John 6.15 says, Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He told Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I, would, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world or from the world. Nonetheless, Jesus did have a kingdom whose arrival he announced in his preaching. And we went through the whole year of the kingdom where he said that the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of heaven is among you, and the kingdom of heaven is within you. We talked about that for a whole year. 
Jesus refused to rebuke his disciples who cried out at the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. After his resurrection, Jesus was given by God the Father far greater authority over the church and over the universe. Ephesians 1.20-22 through 22 says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, uh, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule all, and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus will be King of kings, Lord of lords, forever. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So the authority over the church and over the universe will be more fully recognized by people when Jesus returns to earth in power and great glory to reign. And on that day... He will be acknowledged as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and every knee will bow. So, here's the really exciting part. I mean, that's exciting. What he did for us is amazing. What he did for us in that one act of love, that one act of sacrifice, sets us up for what we're about to talk about. Because the Old Testament prophet, priest, and king... Jesus' fulfillment as prophet, priest, and king is a prelude to us fulfilling the roles of prophet, priest, and king. Every one of us. I'll show you in the next four minutes. If we look back at the situation of Adam before the fall and forward to our future status with Christ in heaven for eternity, we can see that all these roles of prophet, priest, and king had their parallels in the experience that God originally intended for man and will be fulfilled in our lives in heaven. In that garden, Adam was the prophet. He was the one who, when he spoke, he spoke the will of God. Uh, he took all the animals and named them. That is one act that we see. I'm sure there were others. God told him, uh, uh, take dominion over the earth and rule over it. And whatever he spoke was the will of God. But Adam was perfect. He was made in the image of God. He had no sin. When he fell, he fell horribly. He lost the right to speak for God. He lost the right to speak for God for all of us. Praise God for Jesus. We'll get there in a second. I just want to keep hope. I just don't want to paint a dark pic too dark a picture that you can't pull it back. Adam was priest in that he was able freely and openly to offer prayer and praise to God. He spent time every day with God. In the cool of the day, God would come and walk among them. There was no need of a sacrifice to pay for sins. There were no sins. But in another sense, of sacrifice, Adam and Eve would work. Remember we talked today about, you know, and in, in, in the New Testament talks about that the work that we do, the things that we do is a sacrifice. Not to make us perfect. That's done. It's not even a sacrifice to make God like us more. That's done. It's just, as we do what we do in our day-to-day -day life, we're offering a sacrifice. And that sacrifice, remember, they talk about it in the Old and the New Testament, that it was a pleasing offering unto God. 
that when they offered a sacrifice, which, you know, they sacrificed their animals, which was their work. They do that. That's what they did every day. But when they offer it, it, it pleases God. You know that when you go to work tomorrow and you work with all of your heart unto the Lord, or when you go to school tomorrow, students, tomorrow, in your classes, where's my son, Ethan, are you listening? Tomorrow, when you go to school, and you are working diligently, not unto your teacher, and not unto your parents, but you're doing it unto God, it pleases God when you do it with all of your heart. That's, as priests, that's how we offer sacrifices. Not for our sins. You don't work hard all the... No, I, I, I was going to joke. I was going to joke, but I don't have time for that. Because then I have to explain it, and then... You know. But when we work hard unto God, when we work hard and we, and we, we work hard, we, we live our life fully and we do it in the fullness of the glory of God, it brings Him honor. And it honors, it, it blesses Him. It's a pleasing aroma in His nose. That's why we do what we do. Adam and Eve were also kings and king and queen in the sense of have, having been given dominion and rule over creation. Sin came. When sin came, all of that was destroyed. Unattainable. From that moment on, it was absolutely... No, see, I can't say that. Because it was possible. There was only one possibility for that ever to be restored, and it was through Jesus Christ. It's what He did. When He came to the earth, and He as a man, God fulfilled all three roles and then gave his life as the perfect sacrifice to, to forgive all of our sin, to get rid of the sin nature for us if we would accept him. When he did that, it was restored unto man the right through Christ Jesus to be prophet, priest, and king once again. And the whole New Testament is about how we do that. How we live that way. How, how can we be prophet? And who do we be a prophet to? Who do we be a prophet to? The world around us. Everybody we see. Speaking the word of God to them. Some of them have no idea what you're saying. Just like most of them had no idea what the Old, Old Testament prophets were saying. Or they had no idea what Jesus was saying. Or the, so on and so forth. But we are prophets. We are speaking the, the will of God into this earth. Priests, we work, we, we serve, we bless people. We, 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 whenever we serve one another or we serve those in need, praise God, we're being a priest unto them. And king, well, we talked about for a whole year, we talked about the kingdom of God. We are to be kings. We're to rule and reign on this earth in the, in the authority that God has given us. And it's all possible because of what Jesus did. Peter calls us a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 9. We are to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. God has even now committed to us authority over various areas in this world and in this church, giving to some authority over much and some authority over little. But when the Lord returns, those who have been faithful over little will be, have authority over much. When Christ returns and rules over the new heavens and the new earth, 
we will once again be true prophets because of our knowledge. Our knowledge will then be perfect and we shall know as we are known. Then we will speak only truth about God and about His world and in, in us the original prophetic purpose which God had for Adam will be fulfilled. We will be priests forever. For we will eternally worship and offer prayer to God as we behold His face and dwell in His presence. And we will continually offer, your, offer ourselves in all that we do or all that we have as sacrifices to our most worthy King. Yet we shall also, in subjection to God, share in ruling over the universe. That, last time I'm going to say it, is cool. We are going to rule over the universe. Think about that. Just let that one sink in for a few moments. I see some people starting to pump their fists. Oh, yeah. That's right. We're going to rule over the universe. What does that mean? That's a great, great thing to think about this week. What does that mean? Jesus says, He who conquers, I will grant to him, grant him to sit with me on my throne as I myself conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. In fact, Paul tells the Christians, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That's scary. Think about that. Do you not know that you will judge angels? That's according to 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Therefore, For all eternity we shall forever function as subordinate prophets, priests, and kings, yet always subject to the Lord Jesus, the supreme prophet, priest, and king. When Jesus did it, he did it as an example for us, and then he paid the ultimate sacrifice of his own life, his perfect life, so that it bought us the right to do what he told what we were originally purposed to do to be prophets priests and kings of God most high that is a noble noble place to be glory to god let's stand lord jesus Words in no way, shape, or form can, can in any way fulfill the gratitude of our hearts and to give you enough praise. So Father, we ask that you use our lives, take our lives and allow it to be that living sacrifice daily offered unto you to glorify you in every way. Give us wisdom on how to be prophets, priests, and kings in your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to live our lives for you. And ultimately, at that point then, to live our lives for others so that they will see your love for them. Thank you, Lord God, for all that you did, for your plan from the beginning that was fulfilled powerfully through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this morning, if there is anyone who does not know you, anyone who does not have a relationship with you, I pray, Lord, that the eyes of their understanding be open and filled with light.
Father, I pray that this day, whether they are here this morning or they're listening on internet or a recording of some sort or on video, I pray, Father, that they are one repentance away, one belief in you as their Lord and Savior of what you did on the cross for them, that they are one moment away from entering, from, from leaving the kingdom of darkness and entering the kingdom of light. Father, I thank you that your word says that all we have to do is to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins and confess with our mouths that he is Lord of our lives from this day forward, that we will be saved and that they will be saved. Father, thank you. Thank you for that amazing gift, amazing sacrifice you did for us. Lord, we give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.